Hey, welcome everybody to another amazing episode of the Nailed It Podcast. I'm joined today by my business partner, life partner. The beautiful, <laughs> the amazing. Ryan DeGenero. Golf, or what, happy hands, whatever those are. Okay, so uh, on this episode, or epi- whatever you want to call it. Uh, anyway, sponsored by Urban Restoration, which is my construction company, which you're very well aware of. Thanks. Um, for the ones out there that are um, watching this, the tens of people on Facebook, <laughs> give us a like or a thumbs up or a share. We're also we're uh, sponsored by the Total Wealth Academy. Steve Davis and his crew here set up this amazing podcast studio for us. Total Wealth Academy. There it is. And we're going to jump right in. I'm sure you've seen a couple of these episodes. I have. Awesome. Um, so the show is really all about people who I believe are nailing it in their business, personal life, uh, finances. They're doing something that I'm not doing, and I bring them in so that I can basically hack their life. Okay. So you're going to hack my life today. I'm going to hack your life. Okay. I know. You've been trying to get me to hack your life. I can't wait to see the results of this, but here we go. I'm glad it's recorded. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, he's getting all... I better button up. He's getting all gussied (laughs) up, ladies and gentlemen. Okay. So um, bring me through... Your, your snippet of life, start when you started uh, eBay. Wow. Okay. Um, I think I joined eBay in 1998. How old were you? <sighs> Maybe it was before that, 97. So that would have been a sophomore in high school. And how much were you making and what were you hawking? Uh, I was... At that time, going to Circuit City and Best Buy and buying open box items and selling them on eBay. Uh, Circuit City, Montgomery Wards. Wow, that's how old that was. Yeah. Uh, not sure I could really tell you how much money I was making. It wasn't a living, you know, but sophomore year in high school, uh, a few hundred bucks here and there was was good money. And then you started doing computer Tech yeah, work? Even, be- even before that, uh, I think when I was 15, that was my first business. Okay. Um, I started building computers just kind of for fun because I had a buddy named Jimmy. Jimmy, what's up if you're watching this? Uh, that kind of got me into computers. Um, figured out how to build them. And, uh, you know, at that time, there was no Geek Squad. There was no... You were you were the Geek Squad. Right. There was none of that. And my dad was an entrepreneur. Uh, he had his own business and had a bunch of friends with their own businesses. And when they had a computer break, it kind of turned out that eventually they started calling me and asking me for help. And my dad said, hey, look, hey, do something with this. Build them. I'm not asking you to do it for free. Uh, so I started a computer business fixing people's computers just riding around on my bike. Uh, same, same kind of thing. You know, it wasn't life-changing money, but it was uh, not working at McDonald's. Not uh, not having the man over top of me tell me what to do, so that was that was probably my first experience uh, in entrepreneurship. And then you went to fast forward. You went to U of H. Yep. And then what did you go Cougs? What did you study there? Uh, I got a dual degree in uh, management uh, and entrepreneurship. So I actually have a degree in entrepreneurship, which is a completely worthless degree. Well, you were the first class, right? No, we weren't. I want to say the first class was in the 
early 90s or late 80s. Okay. Uh, it was called something different then. We were the uh, CEI or Center for Entrepreneurship, and it turned into the Wolf Center for Entrepreneurship maybe 10 years ago. Gotcha. Uh, but they're uh, either the number one or the number two ranked entrepreneurship program in the country now. And they got that ranking, I think, a year after we left. And then when did when did you get your real estate license? Like what happened there that started maneuvering that Yeah. Boat? So I, I graduated college and was working at a car dealership at the time. Okay. And um, I think I had kind of a, not an epiphany, but a, a day where I woke up and said, what in the hell did my parents pay for five years of college for if I'm sitting here working at a car dealership with a college degree? Okay. Um, so I talked to my dad about, you know, what I wanted to do moving forward. And he said, start a business. You've already done it. You can do it again. Right. Um, him and I actually bought a coffee shop out across from Lango Creek High School. You know that area? Yes. Uh, so 529. Gangham Creek. Yeah. It's, is it that bad now? Go Hobos. Yeah. <laughs> They're actually called the Lobos, but yeah. So we bought a failing coffee shop across the street from Lango Creek High School. Uh, we turned it into a coffee shop and a music venue, and we sold it a few months after that. Uh, sitting at the closing table, uh, the broker said, hey, what are you going to do after this? I said, shit, man. How old were you? 23, 22, something like that. So 23, 22, broker says, what are you going to do next? Brings you another deal. What was that deal? No, it wasn't a deal. Offered me a job. Okay, nice. Uh, And that's CBB, Certified Business Brokers. Um, So they are much like a real estate agent, except they sell businesses. Uh, If you own a subway or you own, you know, some business in a shopping center, you can't really call a commercial real estate agent to sell that. Right. You have to call a business broker. Right. So that's kind of a weird little segment of reality that a lot of people don't know about, but they're out there. There's not a ton of them. Yeah. Um, But I did that for 16 years. And what is the listing and sale commissions like on a business brokerage? Like, how Uh, do you make money? Just like a real estate agent. I'm sure most of you guys watching this understand how real estate agents make money. They typically charge, you know, four to six percent on a trade. Most of my people are dumb, so okay. Sorry, guys. Layman's terms. (laughs) Uh, Business brokers charge anywhere between nine and twelve percent of the sales price. So there's more money, but it takes a little bit longer. There's yeah. What's the typical turnaround from listing to close transaction? So the quickest I've ever done is 30 days, and that was like a blessing from God. Um, most of them take six months to eight months to sell. Smallest listings, biggest listing that you ever sold at CBB? I think the smallest was probably a $40,000 deli in an office building, similar to the one that's on the bottom floor of this okay. one, uh, you know, kind of a two-man show. Uh, the biggest one I ever sold at CBB was actually a balloon company, uh, and that was just under $3 bucks. Um, that was uh, a company that puts like the big gorillas on top of yeah. strip centers yeah. in front of mattresses. Um, that was a really cool deal. Uh, that was actually a four-man operation and a guy that just had a hookup in, in uh, India. They made these big balloons, shipped them over, and him and his son went and installed them. And he was cleaning up, making, I think, eight 900 a year in his pocket. And without any experience, you also owned a bar I did downtown. I did own a bar. I How did I that take, happen? wish I could take that back. Yeah. <laughs> what a nightmare that was. Um, that was, that was interesting how I got into that because that was my, actually my first, uh, real estate deal as a broker. Uh, so these people, um, that owned the bar that was in that real estate called me, I got the listing. It was just a business only listing. Uh, the, the people who owned the property 
uh, got wind that it was listed and called me and said, hey, we'd like to sell the property too. We don't want to be in this anymore. Gotcha. Uh, so the people that bought both the business uh, and that real estate bought it through me as a broker. Uh, they started building it out. Uh, this was the old Sammy's for any of y'all who have been around long enough to know what that is, uh, 2016 Maine. Um, What's Sammy's or, uh, today? It's closed. It was the people who bought the note from me in the end, opened it up a club named Vow or some VAO. It was like a Vegas. What's it close to? <laughs> the Greyhound Station. Oh, shit. <laughs> Across the street from the McDonald's. Golly. You know oh, yeah. man. Ooh, that was a rough first one. That's a pretty property. <laughs> yeah. So we made it. Well, I shouldn't say we. They made it very pretty. Uh, they ran out of money right before opening. Uh, they called me and said, hey, Ryan, we want to list this. Let's, you know, let's get out of it. We don't have enough money to open up. I told them, hey, look, you know, you're, you're not looking at anything better than your purchase price for an unfinished property. Uh, it's probably going to be a discount from that. How much do you need? Uh, and they needed about 100 grand. So instead of letting them, you know, basically shoot themselves in the foot with that deal, uh, my dad and I lent them 150 to get it moving. And we just took a mortgage on the property. Um, the other thing we did just to kind of make sure that we got our money back out was we took a third of the business ownership instead of taking interest on the mortgage. You're a little Kevin O'Leary, aren't you? Ryan Shark Tank de Janeiro. Well, I set it up because I had concerns that it was going to fail. Yeah. And that's what happened. Okay. Um, it, it ended up failing. We were open for four months and my other two partners, I had a third ownership along with my dad, so technically less than a third, but uh, it didn't work out. And so instead of us trying to go back to market, which we didn't have enough time to do because there was a $6,000 a month HOA fee there, um, I found someone to buy my note. So he paid a little bit of a premium for my note. He foreclosed and then I was out of the deal. So what's your secret sauce then? What do you think keeps you like, why can you pull a trigger when you know nothing about being that and you will pull the trigger and go long? Like you pulled the trigger with me. Yeah. That yeah. was a jump off a cliff. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll talk, talk about that. So we almost went to blows before we became partners. Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, that was, that was interesting. I don't know why I was courting you at that time. I really can't remember what was going on. I remember seeing you on, you Facebook. had, you bought white Oak. Yeah. We had been partners for a while before white Oak was really an issue for me though. You know, no, you bought white Oak funk said, Hey, my buddy bought white Oak. And he's getting ready to rehab it. He needs some help. Yeah, you're right. You messaged me and I was like, People, I'm tired. Of, I made a post. I'm tired of people asking for my time. I'm charging $250 an hour. I think I think anybody that's watching this right now that has any level of, of success has been approached by no less than five people this month asking to pick their brain. And that's what I did to Curtis. Yeah. And probably just didn't didn't pursue it the right way because, hey, you know, I've just figured he knew who I was. Well, I forgot that <laughs> Funk told me that you were going to be calling. That's right. And so then I was like, who the fuck is this guy? Why does he want like my time? And I was in, you know how I am. I sometimes yeah. I get all moody because guys don't show up or something's going wrong with a property. And I'm just like, or my life was in shambles from divorce and dating and all that stuff. I mean, it was just crazy. You've been through, yeah. you've been through that iteration yeah. Many a time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. yeah. 
in that iteration of my life, Ryan received a text message that was Ooh, that was the longest that long. text I've ever seen. <laughs> so we became partners over that. I guess it was your argument with the guy in court. Was it Cordell? Cordell. Cordell. Nine thirteen. Cordell. Yeah. That's right. That's right. And then you made a message on Facebook saying, "Hey, I'm a broker. I can come out." And basically just listen to both sides and be a mediator. He said, sure, I'm fine with that. You came out there, met with both of us. I pleaded my side. You were like, Curtis, now listen, that's not fair. And then he was like, you were like, Travis, now listen, that's not fair. Because remember, his biggest argument was Curtis never says no. Right. I'm actually getting ready to do a uh, speaking engagement called The Power of No. James Toller asked me to go speak, and it's all about my transition to success through learning the word no. That's been the toughest part of my journey. That's interesting because you've told me no many times. When do I tell you no? Um, your way of telling me no is by not answering the phone. Okay. <laughs> what What is an example of a no that I told you that you were a yes um, in a roundabout way, we need to make a repair. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yes. Or, or not listening to me when my, when my advice is no. When your advice is no. And I say yes. Correct. Okay. And how many times have you said, especially when it came to nine thirteen Cordell, you said, do not pick up the phone. Don't talk to him. Don't engage. And what ended up happening? You picked up the phone and engaged. I, and what happened? <laughs> Sometimes it worked out. It's always a fucking mystery with you, man, to be honest. I never I never know which way it's going to go. It's usually going to be handled without my knowledge or there's a, an atom bomb that's went off in the background and I don't know about it yet. Yeah. And so then, uh, okay, so we were partners for, what, six years? We started core management in 2015 in my and, back room. And we went, we we shot out like a rocket. We made a $60,000 assignment mm -hmm. Yeah, on Jewett. That's right. That was our first deal. We made a $60,000 assignment. Okay, so for people looking, what give them some advice on partnerships. Partnerships are difficult. Um, you know, I'm probably the last person to give advice on that. I've had a lot of partnerships. Come up closer to the microphone. There you go. Or, or you can bring it. You can bring it closer to you. There you go. You, thank right. you. How about this? Yeah, you almost <laughs> want to like make out with it. Okay, so partnerships are difficult. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't know that I could give you advice other than don't rush into it. That's probably the best advice I could give anybody. Um, I've had a lot of partnerships. Um, almost all of them have not worked out for one reason or another. And I think that's more of a personal issue than a, an issue with any of my partners. Um, but the best advice I could give is don't rush into it because, you know, for example, our partnership, we don't, we don't really conduct business anymore, but our partnership is still a very much an ongoing thing. Yeah. And if you and I hated each other or didn't like, you know, something that the other was doing, there's not a real easy way to separate. How did, how did we manage to be partners as long as we did with the volatility that we had from time to time over the phone. I mean, cause there were times that we yelled like, what's the secret between a good, making a good partnership work, even though you may not agree and you may fight. I think that 
I, I think that there was a level of we're allowed to argue, we're allowed to bicker, but there's going to be a boundary at some point. You and I, I think there's things that you and I don't like about each other, but that we never, we never personally attacked each other. Yeah. We only uh, attacked the problem. Right. Uh, we definitely didn't agree every single time we had an issue, but I think that the main goal that both of us knew was that we were trying to accomplish this and get it off the plate. It wasn't a matter of ego. It wasn't a matter of you're right or I was right or I told you so or you told me so. It was getting the problem fixed and moving forward. And I think on, on top of that, we both have a mutual respect for each other. I, I, that was going to be my key. Right. Is So key number one to partnerships for me, going back to what Ryan is saying, Ryan was saying, um, don't go into a partnership quick. So point number one is uh, you have to have a mutual respect for the person that you are partnering. And point number two would be that they have to do something different than what you're doing. Yeah. Two, two Curtis's wouldn't have been a good partnership. No, absolutely. Two explosive people, two doers. You need someone who's kind of a behind the scenes guy and you need somebody who's more of a hammer. You got to be a nail. Someone's got to be a nail. Someone's got to be a hammer. And sometimes those, those roles flip for sure. It just depends on what phase of the project you're in for sure. Or, or, or in your business model, whatever that would be. Uh, what is something else that makes partnerships succeed? So we got respect and you do things well, different. Definitely. And I think you and I had the same common vision, right? We both love bungalows. We both love the Heights. Um, we both love the product that we were putting out. Yeah. Um, we I did think. not like the the way that we got to the finished product. Yeah, there were some issues. I mean, look, our partnership was really a learning lesson for me to realize that I like development, but I don't like building houses. Ooh, good one. That's um, good. You know, and, and that's, I think, ultimately, you know, why it was best for me to step back from what we were doing because I realized, hey, this isn't what I want to do for the rest of my life. You're great at it. I mean, you're doing what you should be doing. Uh, for me, it wasn't really what I wanted to continue doing forever. So I would say point number three would be um, just like a prenup in marriage, you should have a prenup in your partnership. You need to have a exit strategy because all partnerships begin to fail. Yep. At some, some point, point. At some point. It's either the things that kill partnerships is greed, lack of passion, lack of someone doing not what they are doing, the other person carrying too much weight. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, we, we got to that. I was like, I'm doing all the work. You're like, I'm handling all the, the emotional drama that you cause <laughs> with, with, the, with the people that we, that we sell these houses to. Um, so then I had to look within myself and go, okay, if I'm gonna carry this baggage all by myself, I'm gonna have to like, handle things differently because I don't have a Ryan to go sweep up right. the issues after I go and make the mess. Right. Which yeah. I'm sure it was a challenge for you, right? Yeah. Oh it, yeah, it was, it yeah. was a total challenge, but this is such a lot of people in real estate that we meet and have met over the time. A lot of those people get in because they're friends and, and I don't see them staying as friends, you know, I remember, uh, yeah, uh, I remember two guys going and doing 
whatever together and then all of a sudden they're no longer like well, one of them yeah steve and whatever his the other guy's name was he he ended up going and working for um big texas i don't think i know who you're talking about i thought we were talking about another company that used green <sighs> that used to green green I don't that know. was sold at some point never mind okay Right. I, I don't know. Dangerous territory here. Dangerous okay, territory. Change the topic. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I'm talking about. Yeah, that, that's yeah. a good. Uh, yes, I think that that's a per perfect one. Um, uh, yeah, you, yeah, Matt and and uh, at in Senna. That's not. I was talking about Houston House Buyers. Okay, Houston but House Buyers. Senna's yes, Senna is another one. Houston House Buyers is another perfect example. But I think that it it becomes hard to. I mean, we've watched this unfold, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think you you look at it and you say, how does a partnership succeed? And how does why do partnerships fail? And and then like Ryan is saying, if you go into that partnership, uh, because a lot of people, you we lived by this phrase, you can go fast alone, or, or wait, you can go fast together, or you can go slow alone. And for me, I had to have somebody because I didn't really know how much money I was actually making. Yeah. <laughs> right? For sure. Yeah. No, but, your accounting skills are just top notch, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So if anybody out there is doing QuickBooks on a grand scale, let me know. Good night. Uh, I'm still, you know, I'm 11 years into this and I still don't have QuickBooks. I'm, I'm running off of Excel spreadsheets. Yeah. And that's how I started. But man, I think uh, there was a point where we must add six, six or seven houses going at once. And uh, those Excel spreadsheets that didn't work in didn't work anymore. And then we brought on uh, agents into the office. Mm -hmm. And I, I would say that was the beginning of the downfall of. Uh, well, I don't know. It's. You know, I think that was the point where our time got split into two different businesses and maybe you were a hundred percent over here and then I was a hundred percent over here. Yeah. Cause once the, once the glorias of our, our, our wholesaling investment side mm -hmm. left, we had a team of like six wholesalers. Right. Once we were no longer making money wholesaling, then everything was basically on you and the wire team. Right. To make money. Right. And then I went into odds with Kim and Kiki. I know, go, go figure. I have problems with people. Um, so yeah, and then that was a that was the whole bugaboo downfall of its own. And then we you sold or I sold my portion to you. Mm -hmm. And then we went and I guess that part has closed now. Right. Right. And right. and then you transitioned into how did the commercial deal come to play? You're talking about what I'm doing right now? Yeah. What, yeah. So COVID. COVID was really the catalyst for that. Um, so what what caused, you know, even with Kim and Kiki, I would say that, that was a partnership. So sure. at some point that was like, hey, we don't really need you anymore. It was more of a split issue. That was the end of that. Yeah. And there was there was no personal issues there. It was just a matter of it's it. just money. Well, I found a better deal that I couldn't I couldn't meet. Yeah. And, you know, understood that completely. And that that was. Um, that was what beginning of 2020, I think, or somewhere around there. It was right before COVID. Okay. Um, when February that, of 2020. Yeah. When that landed in my lap, then COVID hit, I was still selling businesses. Most of my clients were bars and restaurants. 
Um, when COVID hit, you know, the writing on the wall was, hey, these restaurants are probably not going to be around much longer, and the bars definitely aren't, because Abbott at that time had, had pulled all the liquor licenses. Right. So I'm Actually, that the- wasn't true. He didn't pull the liquor license. Oh, yeah, yes, he, he did. did. Uh, he, he pulled that you couldn't sell. Well, yeah, any, if you didn't have food, yes, you couldn't serve. So many of my clients were bars that didn't have kitchens. And some of the ways that people were getting around that was it was $100 for chips and salsa, and then you got free buckets of beer. Right. Yeah, and that, and that actually came down the line when yeah. people figured out that TABC wasn't. You know, TABC typically will, will raid your business if they feel like it. Um, they are they're quite a government agency. But that said, it took a while for the bars to figure out they could do that. In that time, though, uh, as soon as COVID hit, I lost within a month half of my listings. So, you know, at that point, my retail brokerage had two agents left because they had all left for EXP. Uh, my business brokerage listings had been cut in half. And, you know, my guess for at that point in the future was the rest of them were going to go. Uh, so I think I was at a point in my life where I said, Hey, I gotta, I gotta rebuild this. And you know, if I'm going to rebuild it, I'm going to do what I want to do. And that's commercial real estate. Okay. And so how much experience did you, well, you had a little bit of experience in it, but then I had done a lot of deals under a million bucks. Okay. So what's, what have you learned since then? And how long did it take from when you jumped into now that you closed your first deal? So I went to a orientation class at my new company, which is NAI Partners, actually a big, big company in Houston, Austin, San Antonio. Um, I joined them, I think, in August of 2020. So it was about a year ago. Uh, went through about a four-month orientation program, and they brought me in. I think my first day in the office was a couple of days after New Year's. Um, so I've been there since. Uh, last week, I closed my first deal with them. It was a 77,000-square-foot shopping center on Richmond Avenue, which is a bang-up deal. Uh, I brought the buyer to it, so I was the buyer's agent for that. So what's the type of commission that you made on that one? So that deal was a 5% total commission, and I got 2.5% of that. Nice. Um, can't tell you the final sales price, but it was listed at 575, and we closed very, very close to that. Are you? Can you go buy a Ferrari? Well, I could have bought a Ferrari. Okay. I still can buy a Ferrari, but I'm not going to buy a Ferrari. <laughs> Lambo? No, no. <laughs> I bought a new car about two weeks ago. It is a very used uh, Audi A4. Yeah. Very you, happy with it. You love those. You love used vehicles. And you like Audis, too. Uh, this is your second Audi. This is actually no, no, no. First. This is your... Well, I consider the VW, the yeah. the, the ADI. I, in VW and Audi, same I think, thing. are the same thing. Yeah, same thing. So... Okay. Well, congratulations on that. That is amazing. Five percent, and it was listed at five seven five. So y'all do the y'all do the math. My boy's rolling in some cash. How many properties does Madison have? <laughs> and Madison is your Madison's my daughter. She's two. She's two. Whenever she was born, um, there was a really interesting IRS opportunity that was floating around called Opportunity Zones, okay. and I opened an Opportunity Zone fund called the Madison Fund which is uh, for my daughter's college fund effectively. Is it still effective today or is it closed? No, I'm not closing it. Uh, no, for other people that want to get in. You know, I think you can still start an Opportunity Zone fund. Um, when the, the year that it rolled out, they had a really big tax advantage where if you plow, you, you can really only start it by plowing um, existing gains into it. You can't just say, here's a check for 200, I want to open it up. Um, and actually- It's like a 1031 exchange. 
into that fund. Kind of, yes. But it's the same basic concept. And in fact, I think White Oak um, was the first property that I was able to pull gains from and put it into. So that was a property we did together. Uh, man, that was four years ago now, right? We actually made money on White Oak. You did. I did. Yeah, no, that's we made right. Money. Uh, we didn't make a lot, but we I think we made like ninety or something like that when it was all. Yeah, and we, we sold that to a business. Yeah, yeah. That was our it. best open house ever. You nice. weren't there. Yeah, <laughs> you weren't there because your dad passed away. That's right. And we were doing the, which Ryan spoke at his dad's funeral. Probably the funniest. Uh, that that was the funniest eulogy I had ever heard. You were brilliant. I'm glad. Thank you. When you said, um, I'll never forget this. So Ryan's dad loves Pittsburgh Steelers. And so Ryan's standing up there and he goes, what I'm going to miss most is Sundays when I know my dad's watching the football game. And I call after the commercial break is over during the plays just so he'll get angry at me. (laughs) You love to you love to prod that bear. Yeah. Oh, come on. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. It that was, was fun. that was that was brilliant. So then later on that night we had uh Patton sponsored this huge party and we had like 228 people show up mm-hmm. to the open house. And it was brilliant. And we ended up selling that because that was on White Linen Night in the Heights. Right. We ended up selling that that, was that night, walked in the door, someone yeah. walked into the door and said, oh, my gosh, we could actually throw parties on White Oak during White Linen Night for our customers. And so they bought that property. Yep. And that was, yeah, that was the marketing of it. I'll give it to Kimmy Kiki. It was great. It was genius. Seth yep. did a good job with the, the whatever that thing is, the helicopter thing that drone drone yeah yeah i i fumble words sometimes good job so to go back to your question opportunity zones yes um madison has two residential units a piece of land and we're about to close on a church's chicken on fulton street uh end of the month so she is up to what four pieces of property really three i guess one commercial well churches is commercial the land that we have is considered commercial. Okay, so two commercial. Duplex. Yeah. Nice. Duplex is also on Fulton. Man, you're all over Fulton. Yep. Near North. Yes, sir. Okay. So where are the opportunities for commercial today? They're everywhere. Um, you know, I think it's just like residential in the sense that you don't want to get on HAR and just pick something off of there. At the end of the day, I think, you know, you could have thrown a dart at a property five years ago and bought it. And as long as you did, just paid somewhere near market price, you're probably winning today. We sold, we did one. The best deal you and I ever did was that commercial deal. Yeah. Without a doubt. Also on Fulton, that was 1522 Fulton Street. Yeah. That was right next to uh, Hardy Yards. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And there's townhomes there today. They, ju- they just built those two. They've been sitting on those this whole time. Yeah. Golly. They're just getting sold, listed and sold right now. But wow. Um, yeah, that was a hell of a deal. That was a great deal. So, I, I mean, it, where's the opportunity? Um, you know, I, I think most people that are listening to this are probably residential. Look for the same thing you'd look for in, in a commercial. I mean, the, the, the deal you just mentioned on Fulton, uh, 1522 Fulton, that we knocked it out of the park, that was just a beat up property. 
and it had valuable land. I think the reason we, we really hit that one out of the park was because it was a organization that helps homeless people and there were homeless people in there that they couldn't get out. So they had a little bit of a media issue there. And you know, for us getting, getting a homeless person out of a building is kind of everyday business. So we got them out and just turned it. What we do, we stripped it and gutted it, turned it in what, a year, less than that? Uh, no, it was like three, four months. Was it that quick? I yeah, it was how, quick. I thought it sat on CoStar for a while. Um, but that said, we doubled our money. No, you listed it, and in the first week, we had uh, New West give us an offer. It was, we listed uh, it for four eighty-five. City Quest. City Quest. Yep. We listed it for like four eighty-five, and we had bought it for like one eighty-five. I think I had it listed for five twenty-five. Okay. And I think they bit. At four, you're right, 480 or And remember like the person was like from Nigeria or something? It was crazy. No, CityQuest bought it. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. They did buy CityQuest it. CityQuest bought it and then turned it and tried to list it for, they bought it for, for somewhere around. They tried 500. to sell it for 600 they I tried, think. They tried to sell it for 750 okay. and it sat there for a year and a half. And I guess they, they partnered with someone to build it out. And yeah. it's for sale right now. 1522 Fulton was that address. Huh. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. So... Um, how do you vet a commercial deal? What's the difference between, uh, you know, doing like the ARV and doing the, this stuff? There's really only two ways in my opinion to vet it. And it's what is, what is the property worth or what is the income worth? Okay. So that's, that's really it. I mean, there's a lot of different avenues you can go down there, but Almost every listing I look at today, I'm looking at... That question's from... That's a Brian Burr question. Okay. How do you vet a commercial piece of property? Like, what are the things he should be looking for? Well, it's if it produces income, how much income does it produce? Is it contractually obligated to produce income? And so what's long? my variable on income? Three times? Seven times? Is it depend based on... Like, what? what's the average? A convenience store is like, what? Three times? Net rev? No. Um, or gross rev? So you're looking at it, when you're talking about a, a property that produces income, NOI is probably the most important number, which is net operating income. Right. And that's how much money does it put in your pocket after your expenses per year. So it depends on your product types. So my specialty is multi-tenant retail, which are basically shopping centers. Um, shopping centers trade for different cap rates than single-tenant net leases and different than industrial. So it really depends on your product type. Um, but for the most part, most properties that are in decent shape, let's call it a class B property, are going to trade for somewhere between a you know five, six, seven cap, uh, which is a capitalization based on the NOI. Um, if you have something that's not producing income, then you want to look at you know your your what what the what the underlying asset is worth. What are the bricks and the the dirt worth? Uh, and that's where we made a lot of money because we knew, or at least I knew, you know, what, what the value of the dirt, what was. the dirt was. And we just bought under the dirt value and you make enough offers for people and people with problems are typically the ones who are going to accept those under dirt numbers. Uh, the reason we really hit that one out of the park was because that was a charitable organization. And so they didn't have, no, the reason why we really hit that out of the park is because you called on a list that no one calls on. Absolutely. Yeah, well, that's what it was. It was a charitable organization. It I remember driving value. to go get that list with you. Yeah. There was only like 30 numbers on that list. That's right. Yeah. Secrets. Secrets. Hit the ones with zero tax value because they don't know what it's worth. For sure. For sure. 
But that said, those are few and far between. You know, that, that's the deal you want to hit one of those a year. What um, what did you do in the, in the meantime? You were doing day trading while you were trying to generate this income? Yeah, well, while I was doing training uh, through NAI, I was doing some day trading. I did pretty poorly the first year. I think I put like 30 grand in my pocket. Um, this year, this year has been a roller coaster. Uh, the first quarter, I think I netted a little over 100. The second quarter, I did that too, and I've lost most of that this quarter. So, um, you know, I do that more for education than for actually paying the bills. And you do it just based on options trading. Yes and no. Um, that's that's how I made quick money. But that's yeah, but how you're I lost not re- just as quick. Yeah, you, you, <laughs> but I'm just saying you weren't buying to hold the stock. You were buying no, to trade. Yeah, it was a trading. Yeah, proposition for sure. So for sure. call options and shorting stuff. Yep, that's something I have no business talking about because I've done so terrible at it. I did really great and then really bad. But I mean, that's what that's what you get with high risk. My buddy lost eight mil. Yeah, it's easy. Actually, sorry, he made eight mil last year. In January, in January, uh, yeah, he went well. In January, he had made like from that prior year, he had made eight million. Mm-hmm. He lost six million betting Ugh. against me and Roku. Ugh. He's upsetting. he was four hours away from making six million in that four hour period. It, it just kept going up. So he's like, I got to cut my losses because it's just going to keep rising. And it went to 484 and then Roku tanked and he would have made a fortune. He had a put on it. Yes. Wow. So it, it's crazy. I'm trying to get in here, him in here to talk about it. He was like, oh, I'll go back whenever it's like actually like when, when I can brag. I'm <laughs> like, man, people want to know like. What the what what what's the worst part, right? I'd rather talk to somebody in their in their failure and learn what when it's fresh. Like, right. What would you have done different? Right. And he gets mad at me because I'm doing the podcast like while he's in the middle of his day trade. Yeah. Like he is a like going out to eat lunch with him is not fun. He's like on Robin Hood yeah. all day. No, you I'm can't. Just you can't do that. <laughs> he's man. not on You got to invite him to lunch at three o'clock when the market's closed. Yes. Then he's down. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I'm the same way. If I don't have a chart in front of me at eight a.m., I'm a little sketchy. Really? Still yeah. today? Yeah. You have charts up all the time. I do. I do. I walk into my desk and I have a dedicated monitor. I have that's just for day trading. Yeah, it's got twelve charts on it. There's twelve companies I watch very, very, very closely. I just try to trade those. AMC, GameStop, Occugen. None of those. <laughs> Not one of those. No. Sundog Growers. <laughs> I regret to tell you that I have that one. Nokia is one of my bigger positions that I got stuck in back when that was popular, and now it's actually up. I'm positive on that. So. I'm positive. I'm po- lucky. I'm positive that you are very lucky because right. Nokia is a dying brand. What's up, Charlie? <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, man, I, I will just, I, I want to say uh, I'm so proud of you. Thank I think you. you're nailing it. Thank you. Um, you and Julie are, are like family. And uh, it's just cool to, s- I feel like, like me, you just make shit happen. You may not know all of the things, but what most people fail at is they don't, their lack of knowing is what stops them and keeps them from trying. For sure. You got to give it a try. I, I couldn't have guessed that 
a year ago today, I'd be at, you know, the third biggest commercial real estate shop in town. And how old are you today? 39. So at 38, you started something brand new. Yep. Okay. So it doesn't matter where you're at. Just do something. That's right. That's right. That's that's my key takeaway. What What's your takeaway? What's something you want to leave the YouTubers and Facebook people? Well, I'll add to that. Um, you know, at 38, um, I had a life experience with AKA COVID that kind of ushered me into doing something that I don't think I had the balls to do. Pause and pivot. Yeah. Um, there's nothing wrong with it. It was a kick in the shorts to me to be that age and feel like I'm starting over. And it was really rough. Yeah. Um, it's but an I'm ego. So, uh, it's yeah, an it ego is. killer. It is. Uh, I got to puff my chest up and tell people I've been a business broker for 15 years and I've done 300 transactions in Houston, which is a lot of businesses, a lot of people that I've touched. Um, and more or less, that means nothing in my current business. Um, and it's, it's tough. It's still tough. There's people that are 23 years old that have done more deals than me at that company. Uh, but I'm so glad I did it. I really am so glad I did it. And it was tough. It's, I can see how people would get in my position and not follow through because the way I felt at the time was, man, I'm giving up everything I've worked so hard for. Um, don't be afraid to try something new. I'm, I'm, I, I just can't express how happy I am that I made that decision. I don't know if financially I made the right decision, um, but I'm doing what I, what I want to do and I'm happy about it. As long as you're happy, you'll keep dialing and smiling. That's right. Right? That's what I got. And do that's today. what you do every day, right? That's right. You smile and dial. That's right. Okay. So if you have a business and you want to sell, wait, if you want, no, if you have a commercial <laughs> piece of property, especially multi-tenant commercial, right? I can either handle everything or find you somebody who can handle any commercial property that you might have. All right. Please Get, reach out. Yeah. What's your number? 832-443-2750. Shoot me a text. Give me a call. RDG. Ryan D. Janeiro. All right. Thank you, brother. Thank you.